Hey, welcome to Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegriff, and I'm not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. Today, I want to share a lesson that I learned through a really surprisingly difficult life experience. But first, I need you to answer a question. What do you love? Now, I want you to take this seriously, and I want you to be brutally honest. So don't share it with your wife. (laughs) Don't share it with your best buddy. You don't even have to share it with me. But if you want to, I'm available, fatheringourfuture at gmail.com. But I want you to look at this, your eyes only. I want this to be a personal and a self-evaluation of who you really are. Make a list of at least five things that you love. Now, if you need help identifying the things that you love, because this is not a list of the five things that you're supposed to love or that you should love the most, again, no one is seeing this. Just be brutally honest and write down the five things. So what love is not, love is not this whimsical emotional high that you experience within a particular context. Love is a commitment. Love is a devotion. So think about the things that you commit yourself to. Think about the things that you place a high value on. Think about the things that that value that you attribute to the worth that it then has causes you to invest your most precious commodity, your personal time, into those things. So think about not only what brings you a little bit of joy, but what you are devoting the free time that you have, that you're moving your schedule around, that you're adjusting things so that you can have time for whatever this thing is. What are you devoting your time to What brings you joy? What are you committed to? That's what you love. So for example, if you love making time in your week to go and do something with your buddies, but you don't do that same thing for your kids because you think, well, I'm home and they're here too, you might just love your buddies more than you love your kids. Now, that sounds crazy, I know, but I want you to be brutally honest. It doesn't make you a bad person. If you identify the problem and you work on it, that's the goal. The goal is to be a better dad every day. And sometimes you have to do exercises like this to figure out what you need to work on. Because ideally, your top three should be God, your wife, and your kids. And if that's not your top three, there's work to be done. But I want you to make this list because the impact of what you love is not isolated to you. The impact goes beyond you and it impacts those that you're close to to. And for our sake today, that's your kids. Your kids will be impacted by the things that you love. And not just from the time perspective, not just because you're going to be committing time that your kids really need with you to other people or to other things. That's not where I'm going with this, but that is also important for you to recognize. Let me tell you my story so that you can understand how I came about this lesson. Before my wife and I had kids, she got me a puppy. Now, like any real American man who lives in Texas, puppies are the best. And that's my perspective. And Rufus was the greatest of them all. The most handsome, good-looking pup you've ever seen. Just the sweetest dog. And if you're watching this, I'll try to flash up some pictures so that you can know I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. There's Never been a dog like Rufus, and there probably never will be. Now, I will caution you, I'm going to 
try to remind myself throughout the rest of this episode to not make too many tangents because I love Rufus very much and there's a lot of stories and memories that I want to share and you can probably go ahead, you can probably pick up by the tense that I'm using right now that um, Rufus is no longer with us. We had to put Rufus down and that was the difficult thing. That was how it was surprisingly difficult. So let me tell the story in somewhat of an order and see if I can make sense of this and see if I can allow you to see the lesson that I learned from all of this. My mother had picked up my son from school on a Wednesday and she took him to the library. So on my way home from work, I picked up the girls and then I met her at the library to pick up my son. She told me that she tried to come to the house and take the dogs outside. Lola was fine, did her business, but Rufus wouldn't even get up. Rufus wouldn't go outside. So I took this as Rufus is just kind of being Rufus. Now, Rufus is, he is the textbook definition of the loyal companion. I mean, that is what he was. He was the best behaved dog, wonderful with the kids, he laid down with all of them when we brought the kids home and they were playing and he was he would let them ride on him or at least sit on his back he never tried to actually carry them around anywhere but they could lean up against him he was like the back of a chair for these kids he loved the kids and in his old age he was getting close to 8 which he was a rottweiler mix and rottweilers typically only live to be 8 to 10 and they like to get lazy as they get older and he was hefty he was 140 pounds so he was a lazy boy and i thought he was just being rufus but when i got home i quickly realized that something was off he couldn't stand up couldn't control his back legs he couldn't get them underneath him and even when i lifted him up he couldn't keep them there my wife got home, saw this, broke down into tears because I think she knew what was going to be inevitable, even though I wasn't even trying to process or think about that at the time. She left to go get food because she said there was no way that she was going to cook dinner that night. So she went to go get Chick-fil-A. I did something special for Rufus. He liked to hear me play the piano. So I got close, pulled him closer to the piano and uh, played him a little something. Anyway, after that, I talked to the kids, and I tried to tell them what might happen, that this might be the last night that they see Rufus, and that it would probably be a really nice thing if they showed him a little extra love and a little extra attention. Now, Reagan, my four-year-old, was just, you know, big smile, kind of like Dwight Schrute when he's trying to <laughs> learn how to uh, talk to women in the office. That was Reagan. She was really into what she was doing. But Frankie loves animals, loves the living creatures in general, and he took it to heart. As soon as I was done, my wife walked in the door with Chick-fil-A, and I said, let's go to the table, let's eat. And Frankie looked at me, he said, Dad, that is a waste of time. We need to love on Rufus. I was like, all right, buddy, you, you you do your thing. So he went and he sat on the floor right next to him, started loving on him. We're getting the food out and getting the food ready. And I asked Frankie a second time, I said, buddy, do you want to come to the table and eat? He said, dad, would it be okay if I ate on the floor next to Rufus? So he hit me right in the fields and uh, <laughs> I got his food, sat it down in front of him. And I just kind of watched him. He ate his food. And nearly the entire time he ate his food, he kept a hand 
on Rufus, just loving on Rufus. He even asked me, he said, hey, Dad, would it be okay if I shared some chicken nuggets with Rufus? I said, yes. So uh, Rufus was happy. His final meal was Chick-fil-A. I don't know that he could have asked for anything better, but Rufus was thrilled and Rufus was happy and he was getting lots of love and lots of attention. And it was sweet to see my son express such love for Rufus in that moment. So the kids go to bed, we take Rufus. Now I will take I will take time to tell this tangent because I have heard people talk about having to put their dog down and how it was such a tragic experience and it was really difficult and they're really emotional. And I never understood that before because I tried to be a realist and try to be pragmatic about most things. And so the emotional side of things is what I really have to put attention and focus on. But then I had to put Rufus down, and then it all made sense. It wasn't difficult, so when we got to the little pet ER, the doctor came in and told us that it was a spinal complication. Basically, our options were we could spend $5,000 to get an MRI done at a different facility that we would have to wait to get on a list for, and that would tell us if surgery was even an option. If surgery was an option, we'd spend thousands more on the surgery. After the surgery, we would have three weeks of physical therapy where we're basically lifting up Rufus in this little gurney to try to help him to walk and do everything that he needs to do. And after three weeks, we would know if surgery was actually successful or beneficial. Could be that we could spend 10 plus thousand dollars and Rufus be in the same exact situation that he was in presently. Or... It was we consider the quality of life, and we put him to sleep. So my wife broke down while the doctor was there. I teared up after the doctor left, and my wife and I were talking about Rufus and the memories and all that wonderful stuff. And even when they rolled Rufus back in and they actually administered the injection, I held his head, just kind of looked at him in the eyes, just rubbed his face, rubbed his big chops, I loved his big chops, and just kind of slowly supported his head down to the table, and that was it. That that wasn't the hard part for me. The hard part for me, and I'll give you a point since I'm making this tangent, the hard part for me was when they rolled Rufus back in after we had made the decision that we were going to have him put down. My wife was like, look, I want this to be so happy for Rufus. I want to just love on him and and get him to wag his tail and just be so excited. And that's what she did. And I did the exact opposite. They rolled him in there and I just wept. I put a hand on him and rubbed on him and wept. Because in that moment, it wasn't that I felt like I betrayed him by saying that we were going to put him down. It's just that there was no hope. There was no hope. Hope was gone. I knew what was about to happen. I knew he wouldn't be there in the morning. I knew change was about to just settle in and be completely unwelcomed in our home. And there was no hope. And that was painful. That was so difficult. The experience in that moment where this is it, and I knew it was it, and there was no hope of anything different. Hope was a wonderful thing. And dads, listen, I just want you to know that there is power in hope. If you don't have hope, you need to find it. And as a father, you need to make sure that your kids always have hope. 
and you have some control in that. Now, I've talked about hope in the past. You can go up and check out some other episodes, but I definitely want to spend some more time on it. But anyway, the hope, the hopelessness factor for me did me in. I struggled with that. And then the change was tough, too, after the, the next two or three days. They were pretty emotional. But what was beautiful, what was beautiful to me was the way that my son treated Rufus the night we put him down. But what was almost even more beautiful was the very next morning. Now my wife and I got home and we cried and we wept and we just stared at the walls and we stared at his old bed and we looked at things that were now a little bit out of place almost. And we went to bed at two in the morning. We didn't set alarms. We had work the next day and honestly, we did not care. But at 7 in the morning, my son came down, and he's usually hard to get out of bed. He's usually, hey, buddy, we've got five minutes now to get dressed and for you to have breakfast and then to get to school. <laughs> that's that's Frankie. But at 7 in the morning, he came down, came to my side of the bed, and he woke me up. He said, Daddy, he says, roof is here. Man, and I had a conversation with him. But what was so impactful to me? is that this is the very first thing that he wanted to do. This was what was on his mind. This is what mattered to him. It was Rufus. And now the reason I asked you to write down what you love is because the things that you love will be the things that your kids choose to love too. Frankie did not know Rufus when he was a puppy. He did not have the historical context that I had, but he chose to love Rufus because he saw how I loved Rufus. He saw how his mom loved Rufus, but he saw the value that I placed on him. He saw how I treated him, and he mimicked my behaviors. He mimicked my commitment. He mimicked my love. He chose to love Rufus because he saw me love Rufus. And this is why I want you to come face to face with the list that you have created. And I want you to consider, if your kids loved the things that are on your list, how proud would you be? If alcohol's on your list, if going out and partying's on your list, would you be proud if that's what your kids loved most? If you like to play video games because it's just selfish you time and you like to play any chance you get, would you be proud if that's what your kids loved to do? Now, I know you might like it when they're young and they're in your house and they play with you. I could see how that would be fun and cool. But what about when they grow up? And then you're not there. So then they don't have to play with you. They can play by themselves or they can play with their buddies. And then when you reach out to them, hey, I'm playing video games. I'll, get, I'll, I'll give it to you later. Are you proud of that? There's so many things that could be on your list. I can't go into all of them because I don't know all of them but you do. And I want you to just be mindful of this. The things that you love will be the things that your kids choose to love too. And would you be proud if your children loved the same things that you've written down on your list? That's what I want you to confront.
And that's what I want you to deal with. Because if you're not very proud of those things, you don't get to be a coach because you're not a coach. You're a dad. And those are two totally different things. You can't just live the way that you want to live and then tell your kids, don't live like me. Because the sound of your words will be drowned out by the sight of your actions. Your kids will see the things that you do, and that is what they will will remember about you. They might remember a phrase or two that you use all the time. But more than anything, they will remember the life that you lived and the things that you loved, what you were committed to. They will remember how you lived your life. They will remember your actions. They will remember your actions more than they remember your words. You don't get to be a coach. You are a leader. You're a leader to your home. You're leading by example. Your words, yes, they have to lead, but so do your actions. So take a look at your list. Evaluate it. Evaluate yourself and in, evalu- and, and, and in evaluating yourself, consider how proud you would be as a dad if your kids had the very same list at the age they are now and as adults off on their own. This is what I want you to think about because what you love matters. So you ought to be careful. You ought to be careful what you commit your love to. Love things that are noble. Love things that are profitable. Love things that help others that are not selfish. Again, your top three, God, your wife, your kids. Others is probably going to be number four. And something noble needs to be number five. Evaluate yourself. Think about it. Confront yourself. Make the changes that you need to make. Because they're not just for you. They're also for your kids. And that's what we're doing as dads. This is not about us. It's about them. This is Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift. Thank you so much for being with me. And I hope you'll join me next time.